Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest is a former sales engineer who pivoted from this role and started disrupting when he experienced the painful reality of sales engineers holding up the sales process for sales reps that were unknowledgeable of the technology products and services they were selling. Determined to fix this huge and growing disparity in sales, that by the way is eroding trust towards salespeople in general in big tech, he developed a technology that combines data science and business intelligence with over 24 years of sales and marketing experience to save big tech time and increase profitability. Coming to us live from Los Angeles metropolitan area, please welcome our disruptor, founder of Excelogy, Deep Trichonaut. I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you, KJ. That was a wonderful, wonderful introduction. Well, it's so very true. I love the story. Well, thank you. Yes, yes. And I hear this a lot, right? So before we get going on this, because I know that our guests are going to be super interested in this, tell me what is your number one ingredient to disruption? Candidly, it's just, it's, there's so much. So we talk about inefficiency in business. Typically, like you go to MBA school, there's, there's all kinds of inefficiency in business with respect to process, presuming everybody, all, all people are created equal. And, and I think they're created equal, but then the whole nurture aspect of our, our upbringing, upbringing professionally kind of separates one individual from another individual. And the inefficiencies that I'm trying to solve are around that of true meritocracy in business. And so where one individual might not be as good as another, yet due to office politics, they're overlooked, or rather the better individual, the higher contributor of the business is overlooked due to either nepotism or just what what, what might have what, what you might have in the in PR. The, this is the bad word of PR, right? Yes, like, yes. Round and, and it, <laughs> it's it's and, and nothing against those guys because everybody's trying to do what they can to get to get above. And so, you know, in, in their minds, that's the game that they're playing. That's the problem. It's it's a game to them, whereas it shouldn't be. It should be a true, like whoever's actually contributing to the business. I kind of define the performance of so what Excelogy is responsible for is what we're trying to solve is kind of the overlap between you have HR on one side with performance management and you have like the actual impact of the business on the other side. And the overlap between the two is where Excelogy kind of plays. And so this is a, a very large problem. It's kind of like, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so the bite that we're focusing on at the moment is sales as the function. So sales contribution, impact and performance and where does that overlap with HR performance and management and providing both HR as well as business leaders who are the objectively higher contributors and higher impactful employees in the business? Yeah, well, that's it's a real problem. You're right. I was just speaking to a public company about this the other day. And again, sales engineers are holding it. We're just going to talk about sales right now, right? Absolutely. Yes. Holding up the sales process and sales reps are becoming increasingly either not trained or not knowledgeable or just really not understanding the technology products that they service. And it is overwhelming the sales engineers because let's face it, sales engineers have a whole other hat not to wear the sales hat, right? Absolutely. When you're talking about meritocracy, that sounds so philosophical, but in truth, right? It's about measuring the performance and the merit of those that are producing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the Holy grail that I think to date, I haven't found, and this is actually why I founded Excelogy. I haven't found a way to or that's used, I should say, in, in the marketplace to across business. So there's hundreds of tools that are used across those two vertical HR and sales 
and sales in particular business today in a post COVID world is largely online, right? Like the, the, the podcast that we're recording today is, is not in person. It's, it's via zoom. Similar to that, there's video conference, there's email, there's salesforce.com or it's a CRM platform that's being used. There's Slack. All of these digital tools are, are monitorable. They're measurable. All the actions and, and activity and the engagement between a sales rep and their external constituents, which could be in the form of a customer, a partner, a prospect, and internal constituents as well. So their sales engineer, are they leaning too much on their sales engineer versus versus maybe a, a higher performing rep or a more efficient rep? Are they leaning too much on product marketing? Or how much is the is the rep individually bringing to the table, basically? And how much are they leaning on other people in the organization? And collaboration is not a bad thing. In fact, there's a sweet spot, right? So there's there's the right amount of collaboration, both internally and externally, that is the sweet spot specifically for an organization. And Excelogy offers kind of that visual, the visual, the data, the dashboard of what is that sweet spot. So that their top performer, everybody has a top performer. The challenge is what is that top performer doing different than everybody else? And yeah, let's no talk about the status quo of that because sales traditionally has been run by numbers, right? <laughs> and those have a foundational aspect that really is not, it's not alterable, right? But there is a quality aspect. I mean, back in the day, I was speaking to someone's father that used to sell technology decades ago. And they not only knew the product, knew the service, but they were trained enough in order to onboard and get the service started for the client, right? Sales has completely changed in that particular aspect. And so there's so many silos, right? Absolutely. It's, it's what is the, what's the status quo on monitoring the quality? Because you can't only monitor the quantity. So that's, that is the, the, it's a phenomenal question. I don't think that there's a one size fits all answer to that. Typically there's the data that sales leaders use is, is largely lagging. They're lagging indicators. And that like those lagging indicators are in the form of revenue or closed deals up between the time that the sales rep makes that first call and the, and the dollars coming through the door, or let's say the contract being signed often, unless the sales management is micromanaging because they're on a performance improvement plan or something, they have no idea actually what that sales rep is doing properly or improperly to get to the point where they're closing a deal. So that quote to cash or rather the, the first call to contract signature, that time could vary. One thing it automatically varies in, from business to business because every business has its own fingerprint of sales motion, but separately between reps within that business as well, the more efficient reps can probably close deals in a shorter period of time. The less efficient reps or less performant reps might take a little longer. And then you have on the complete other end of the spectrum, reps that are really struggling, but the sales management, they don't know that they're struggling until the quarter hits and all of a sudden all the numbers are in and now they can stack rank based on revenue as to who's on top and who's on bottom. Which is too late. It's too the late. Lagging, so they look at the lagging indicators and it sucks. But what about the leading indicators, right? The yes. ones that are like the number of calls and the number of contacts and the number of proposals. And I mean, that's been the status quo, right? So if you ramp that up, the guy should be successful. Absolutely. And, and that happened to me candidly years ago because, you know, I got a new manager, didn't understand the business, but he understand micromanagement. And so, um, <laughs> so he comes in and he, he's trying to implement some new rules. And part of his new rules was he's going to count the number of emails and calls that go out, which honestly, like I didn't send his, I didn't, I was not the top activity producer. Right. So like if you wear a pedometer and I use this example in my, in my day to day, you put me on a basketball court with LeBron James, we might get the same amount of steps, but I can assure you, I stand five, a tall five, six, right. I'm not going to have as much as many points or as much impact on the game. And if you're only measuring steps, you might have the same amount of steps and just by steps be like, how come I didn't produce the same, same amount of numbers as LeBron James? And there's so much more that goes into it. Yet we're still kind of the status quo is looking at calls, looking at emails, looking at just touch points, just pure touch points and not kind of peeling the onion back and trying to figure out the quality of those touch points. Is there engagement, right? For example, there's every relationship is two directional. And if it's, if the rep is only sending outbound emails or outbound calls and never getting any engagement back, that's, that's a challenge that, that rep needs to overcome. But the response often is not tracked. Meaning if I'm that rep that's being scrutinized and I'm sending hundred calls and emails out, I'll be able to check the box that yes, I did hundred calls and hundred emails because that was the quota, but I'm not getting single response back. 
that's not measured. So I might be able to hit my performance numbers. Yay. But I have zero impact on the business. Yeah. Yay. And that's where this micromanaging comes in, right? Because they really can't see. And the only thing that they can look at are the leading indicators, right? Yep. There should be leading indicators for quality, right? And I don't really think those are measured today. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There are not. And, and I mean, there are. So, so for example, there are new tools that are coming out in the form of they're kind of trying to peel back the onion with respect to conversations. So there's companies out there like Gong, Chorus, AI that record conversations similar to this. And then they apply artificial intelligence to figure out like what, what actually separates maybe a good call from a bad call from a rep. I'm prone to this as well. I say ums and ahs a lot. And so those AI tools will count those. This is how many times you said um, this is how many times you said a or whatever. And then they report that to management in an aggregate dashboard. But there's what I'm trying to do is make a create a holistic view, including those conversations, including emails, including the qual- the body of the emails, including the response rate and who the title. So there's there's so many dimensions in there's like I would say like between 100 and 200 touch points. There's the right activities that sales reps need to, to navigate through the gauntlet of the sales motion. They have to do those hundred steps correctly to be able to close a deal or maybe more. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. Like a hundred steps. You mentioned something about the ahs and ums. I really don't give a crap if the person says ahs and ums, as long as I'm, he's teaching me something that I didn't know, I'm engaged and he's asking the right questions that are a bit cathartic for me in the sales process to get me to look as to why I might need something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even that status quo seems, I don't know. So, so they, they, candidly, they go a little bit more beyond that. So I want okay, to know what they do, right? But, <laughs> but, but that's but, one of the points, right? But it's still, it's still, they're analyzing one touch point, right? They're an, or analyzing one aspect of, so of those hundred steps, maybe three of them will be actual conversations with various, or maybe more, it's probably going to take more. Let's say like 30 of them, 30 of the hundred are conversations that they're able to capture and analyze. But then what about the other, the other conversations, just the emails, getting them on that call in the first place? How many meetings did you have? And what was the engagement? Who's the level, the hierarchy? So like getting the janitor on the phone is probably a lot easier than getting the CEO on the phone. Mm-hmm. So having hundred calls with the janitor is not really going to get you anywhere in closing that deal that you need the CEO, the CEO's engagement, right? So that's, that's the kind of stuff that I want to bubble up to sales management and business owners is are the steps, are the steps in a pedometer, the right steps and not just steps, kind of arbitrary steps that are not getting you anywhere. Well, that's, that's a really good point because it is sort of arbitrary like today, like it can be, it's not very scientific. Um, no, I, you know, it is an arbitrary. That's what the word I was trying to come up with. It's like, well, who said oz and ums? is a factor. I mean, I'm just going to focus yeah. on that, but I get, yeah. I get that they have other things that they look at, but who says that that is something that makes a bad sales rep? I, I would look behind that a little bit more. Like, totally. why are they eyeing? I mean, do they really not know? Like in PR, when you interview with the media, you don't want to sound too polished. You, you come up with, as a shyster. It's really natural to, you know, have a subject matter expert, think about the question and think about it for a minute, maybe say a couple of ahs and ums. It's very authentic, right? Yes. Yes. Those, you're right. You're right. Those are not necessarily bad things. I think that, you know, they talk. So for example, one of the, the tenets of, of a good sales rep is listening. And I, I 100% agree in that, with that. One of the things that this, these tools do is, you know, how much do the reps speak versus how much do the customers speak and what proportion of that. So if they're talking too much and they're not listening enough, then they don't know what the problem that, you know, they don't know the problem, the customer's problem that they're solving because they're just pontificating they're on their soapbox and they're not shutting pitching, out for themselves. Pitching, yeah. pitching. They're just pitching. Yeah. They're just throwing up everything against the wall and you don't need to do that. Like the good does sales reps. Does this stick? Does this exactly. stick? Exactly. Yeah. What about this? Want yeah. to buy a watch? Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I said the right thing. <laughs> exactly. And they might. And many reps get lucky that way. They'll say the right keywords and that'll pique interest of something. But, but the, what, what separates the quality reps is they do listen. They understand, they pinpoint an actual problem. So often in sales, for example, managers also say, sell what's on the truck. Because many of us are like, hey, this is just a little bit off. We don't, we might, if we can tweak the product this way, I can close this deal. Management will come back and say, just sell what, what we have, not customizations, just sell what we have. And the difference between the product, what it does and what the customer needs, those strong sales reps will find that overlap 
and kind of dig in on that overlap about what the product actually does. And that requires reps to actually listen and get to know what their customers or partners or what their constituents are interested in. So that then they can come back with a pinpointed solution rather than in that Venn diagram of the circle of everything the product does, just throw everything against the wall and let the customer choose what's inside, what's relevant to them. That takes judgment and discernment and that takes knowledge of the product or service Absolutely. to be able to do that. Absolutely. And the reps don't necessarily know everything. I don't expect any single rep to know everything and that therein lies the collaboration internally, right? So who are they bringing to that conversation to help them discern, to make those judgment calls, both technologically, business-wise, like there's, there's so many things that need to go right to close that deal. And often the sales rep might have a solid, you mentioned earlier, a solid sales engineer that they lean on hundred percent. The sales engineer is now doing the entire sale. And we, when I say we, the larger business community don't necessarily recognize that sales rep, that sales engineer is the key to closing those deals. So for a simple example is like, how many of us have dashboards that identify these key individuals are why we're successful. And if we let any of these three people go, our business is going to hurt. Oh my gosh. I just had experience with that with another company and they had an exodus of their two key sales reps and sales engineer because the company didn't have that and it wasn't measured by meritocracy. And it was a huge deal, right? Now that the company's scrambling, right? But and- that's the status quo. They get what happens to these people. What is it? They get frustrated. They leave. They're not. You're not able to be creative. The the politics take over. Absolutely, and and because you're not measuring it, you don't even know that they're the ones that were actually contributing. So we talked about performance earlier. To me, performance isn't the the end. And that often today, the measurements with KPIs and even OKRs. OKRs, the term OKR for which I think is stands for objectives and key results. Yeah. So we've changed. We as a business community kind of changed or evolved from KPIs, key performance indicators, to OKRs, which are objectives and key results. Which is great. I think it's a move in the right direction. However, it doesn't go far enough. So so performance should not be even the key results, key results implies lagging indicators, right? What I feel business owners and leaders should be looking towards for each employee that they have in the business is what contribution are they making and what is the impact of that contribution, right? So not the performance, because I mentioned earlier, getting the amount of steps, making hundred calls and hundred emails, boom, check the box for performance. Like that's, that's not, that doesn't lead to anything. But isn't that ultimate impact, the valuable final performance that you're looking at? The impact. So, so Many of us, so sales reps is easy because they have like a target. They got to, they, they make X dollars that they got to bring in. So, so when I say that's easy is that's their impact. That's a measurable, tangible, like that's their impact. And that's what their goals are. That's what they're hired for. Their day job is to, to bring in revenue. But when you take a step outside of sales, let's go into sales engineering, for example, like what are their KPIs and, and OKRs and performance? What, what, how do you measure their contribution and their impact? Today, that's not being done. So for example, even product That's unfortunate. It is. It, it's it is, so it, unfortunate. And so- there's, there's a support staff around that are, that are kind of holding the sales rep up and the better sales rep today, the better sales reps today know how to leverage that for the maximum. That's candidly what separates a strong sales rep from everyone else is they know how to plug and play the various support staff to make, to close that deal the fastest and be the most efficient there. It's not the number of calls. It's not the number of emails. It's when you finally get a prospect on, on the line, how do you maximize that 30 minutes with that prospect so that you don't have to have a hundred other emails and calls? Like who do you bring to that call? When do you bring them? How do you position that? that sales engineer or that architect or that actual engineer or product manager or whomever it is that you're collaborating with to move that call to the next step. Like how do they leverage that? And today, none of that's being measured. Those, those that support staff, they're just taken for granted today. There's, there's no way to see the big picture. And when they get disgruntled or leave because of it's not a meritocracy, people are getting promoted that shouldn't be promoted and they leave and the business doesn't even know like, wait, well, how come we're, how come our sales rates are going down? They, they'll go back to the usual, right? Let's do a one size fits all training for everybody. Let's start, let's pull in this new sales tool this year at sales kickoff. And they just, they're kind of spinning their wheels and they don't actually know what's going to work and what's not. They're kind of, they're lost themselves because there's no, there's no way to provide that analysis in that dashboard of like, this is, these are the people that are contributing to your sales success. You know, that is happening everywhere. And I usually don't like to use generalities when I'm communicating something with bad news, but I do see it a lot. Yes. 
It's um, unfortunate. It happened to me, which is how I founded Excelogy. Like I was on the losing end of a political battle. And because of that, I left. And as after I left, I, I was thinking like, this is, this is how, first of all, that happened. That's like the third time that happened to me in my 24 years. And I'm like, this is common. If it's happening to me, it's happening to everybody. And it's hurting the business when someone who's a high contributor making a strong impact when they leave, it's, it's hurtful to the business. So like the middle managers, they don't care about the overall business. They get, you know, and I don't, like I said earlier, I don't blame them for doing what they think is best, not only for them, but what they perceive to be best for the business. But without data, without actionable data and information, I should say, data by itself is not important. The information that the data reflects or represents, that's important. And without that, you're in the dark. You're literally like searching for the light switch by massaging the wall in the dark. And Yeah, and it creates way more pressure on management, right? And then the board comes down on the CEO. And then sales is, you know, in a constant state of frenzy to get those numbers up. So micromanaging happens even more, right? You have a lot of churn in sales. Yeah, I mean, there's your status quo, right? Yeah, and it's, it's a problem that I... I haven't seen anybody addressing yet. They'll address it from the HR side or they'll address it with another yet another sales tool. And what I'm trying to do is kind of bridge. And again, Excelogy is not sales specific, but right now, because that's the easiest problem to solve, like I mentioned earlier, it's easy to know whether a rep has met or not met their numbers. So we're starting with sales. And the reason for that is because it's it's easy, right? So sales has very specific definition of what defi- like what is success? What does success look like? They'll have a number that they have to hit. And at where every sales rep falls on the spectrum of hitting that number from zero to 100%, that's very defined. It's easy. It's easy to measure success when you move a little bit away from sales, like sales engineers, right? So measuring a sales engineering reps performance is highly, highly subjectable or subjective. Often the way they're paid is as a pool. So the entire sales engineering team, 15, 10, five, or however many there are, there's more than one, they share the bucket of whatever bonus revenue commission. So even if one sales engineer is more successful than another, it's a little socialistic. It, it's, it's, it's kind of, it is. And, and as a result, you don't know, like, which sales engineer is actually better than another yeah. ob- objectively using hard, you know, hard data points. And especially from, so sales man- sales engineering managers will know, they'll know because they're, they're leading these people in the day to day. But the moment that sales business owners lose direct line of sight. So, th- so Excelogy doesn't cater so much to smaller businesses where the CEO has, everybody reports to the CEO because they know firsthand they're kind of by just by design, they're, they're micromanaging all those people because they're involved with everything. But the moment you go to when there's, you have a layer of middle management and the business owner that sits on top, doesn't have direct line of sight into everybody's activity and contribution and what they're working on. That's when you introduce politics and you introduce someone else kind of their influence on who's right and who's wrong and all of that. And our own tendencies of just our preferences, our likes, our dislikes, all that gets kind of into the mix and you lose objectivity the objective data. And I'm just trying to provide a system to kind of pierce through that veil, so to speak, and provide that insight for all business owners as to, you might have hundred employees or right, stack rank them based on contribution. Yeah. And I like the word objectivity rather than transparency. I think transparency is a bit, a bit overused, right? But it really is a very objective way to look at it. So how did you do this? How did you combine, you know, this data science and business intelligence to have these hundred or 200 touch points to really measure the merit? Great question. So, so as I mentioned earlier, all in a post-COVID world, we're using digital tools. So, so, and through those measuring all the activity in those digital tools, so activity by itself is not that useful, but when you take multiple touch points of activity and put it into context with each other and reference of each other and kind of build a map of what is a top rep doing? Like what, what is their behavior? So if you start measuring behavior through all of those activity touch points that you're able to measure from CRM, from email, from video conferences, from tech, like Slack chats, or anything else that's measurable as a corporate tool, there are Achilles heel to the Excelogy solution, in-person lunches, phone calls, and iMessage or things like that, that are outside of the business systems. Those aren't necessarily measurable, but that, those are probably represent three to 5% of communication. 95% or more are, are these kinds of tools with Zoom. And they're all measurable in terms of the behaviors and activity that, that go along with that. So measuring all the reps by measuring all the reps' behaviors, communication behaviors, and then now looking backwards as to, all right, let's 
let's fingerprint everybody's MO, like everybody's behaviors using their, their activities, using these digital tools. And now looking back, who are the, who are the before Excelogy would get involved, what is the stack rank of performance using the lagging, lagging indicators of, of contracts or hitting their numbers and taking, let's say the top one or two reps. And I already have fingerprints for each one of them in terms of an MO, a modus operandum, right? Then I can identify, all right, these are your best, these are at business's best practices based on those top sellers. And it's, it's very much like hand in glove. It's like that best practice is that playbook would be customized for that business specifically by taking the top reps communication behaviors. And then if you overlap those for everyone else, you can kind of see where the differences are. So the top rep might have, they might bring in a sales engineer 50% of the time, whereas your not so high performing rep might take him hundred percent of the time. Or they might send 20% more emails to engineering, core engineering, or, you know, they need a product manager in on their calls. They're leaning on, they're leaning on their staff more, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Leaning on your staff, it's, it's finding that sweet spot of leaning on and collaborating, right? right. So that's, that's the deal. It's collaboration. It's not do my work for me. Correct. Absolutely. Yes. Nately, there'll be respect. I've worked with product managers that when I have peers that get on calls and these product managers have actually told me they're, they're upset whenever that particular sales rep brings them into a call because they're just unprepared or they're not teeing it up for everyone to find success. So the product manager has to come in and do their job. They're the like a glorified appointment maker. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. In fact, when, when I was a sales engineer, I often felt that with my rep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this would be really, I often find this with innovators and disruptors and what they create is that it's too simple to be believed. And I think the best things are so simple, right? Like, yeah. oh my God, why hasn't anybody thought of this? I remember working at a corporation and there was this one sales rep and she was just a powerhouse, right? For the life of me, for me. I couldn't figure out what made her successful, right? I was in charge of internal PR and external PR and, you know, finding high producers. And, but she just, I often said she had the gift of gab and she'd talk about what I observed is nothing about the product or service, but people would buy from her. Now she may have, right. But her MO seemed, she just talked and people loved her. Now I know that's like not duplicatable by other reps, right. But it would be very interesting to go back in a time machine and take this technology and map it out and see what she really did. Cause year after year, after year, after year, I mean, she was just an absolute powerhouse. Yeah. And and I equate it to like the top of a mountain. There's multiple paths to get to the top of a mountain. So you can be an introvert or an extrovert. So if you have to get the gift of gab, it's a tool, hundred percent, use it to to build rapport. If you don't have it, or it's, you're a little bit uncomfortable with using it, or it's just not your personality. That's fine. There's still another path in which I mentioned earlier, there might be one or two reps or three. So the sales management can define using Excelogy tools. Like, all right, this is the introvert path. This is the top seller that's achieved high success as an introvert. This is the top seller that's achieved high success as an extrovert and then coach accordingly, right? So the same tools, which is, so so tools are, are just that, they're tools. And Excelogy provides the same kind of tools and insights that can be used for good or bad equally, right? So it's just a tool in the business world Another, which is positive for business either way, but potentially negative for the individuals is Excelogy will now expose anybody hiding under rocks. You know how like you pick up a rock and everybody scatters. So this will expose who's hiding and not really doing any work. And that'll, that'll bubble up and owners and business owners, leaders and managers will be able to see that it'll, it'll shine a light under that rock and all the people hiding. Wow. What a tool, right? (laughs) (laughs) And what a tool. And the thing that I really liked that you said is that every business is different. Every industry is different. But a key point is how sales go in that particular industry, right? Or that particular business. And you could really find out the MO of the successful salespeople and sort of create a customization for what's successful, maybe as a, as a prime starter for what's successful throughout the rest of the organization. It's like Google maps for the, for new sales reps, right? It's like, so they, they would know. What good positioning you have. (laughs) (laughs) So the top, and even for, for, let's say, because here's the thing, candidly, no one wants to be a poor performer of anything, right? So they're not trying to be poor performers. They just haven't found the key. Or right. They don't have they don't have the rubric, or they don't have the kind of the what do they call those things? Oh my god, I'm losing it. But 
basically, yeah, they just don't have the map on how to find success and what they're doing different than, let's say, a top rep. In fact, when I was an underperforming rep early, even there were times in the middle of my career where I just didn't figure out when I joined a new organization and I just hadn't found the right balance to be successful. As that new rep, I would try and pay attention to all the top performing reps. I'd ask, you know, ask to shadow their calls and I would, for myself, learn what are they doing different and or better than what I'm doing? How do I model myself after them? Even these underperforming reps, all of them are interested in being better. No one wants to, yeah, to suck at what they're doing. So if, if management could say, all right, this is what a top performer looks like, and this is where you are. And these are these specific areas are the, are the deltas. So rather than going to this like week long, one size fits all training, why don't you work on these three areas? And let's, let's, and then while you're working on it, for that watch, business, for right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. For that business, because it's not going to be a one size fits all for everybody. In fact, the chart that I use actually has, it's, it's a radar graph. That's the main chart. And it, on the axes of each one is, is a communication is a persona. So there could be a buyer persona. There could be a sales engineering persona and so on. And so the communication between the rep in the center and all of these various personas that they interact with both internally and externally creates this unique fingerprint shape around this graph and then do the same thing with every other rep. And when you overlay the top rep with everybody else, you can kind of see quickly where either the lower performing reps are doing too much of or not enough of relative to the top rep. And that's where you get the customized playbook that's specific to that business and their product sets. That is brilliant. So objective. Exactly. I mean, it makes me think back in the day, like Xerox, right? Like I've got a lot of really good salespeople trained at Xerox back in the day when they were a powerhouse, right? Yep. They had an MO and yep. they had figured that out and they had figured out how to distill that and teach that, right? Absolutely. And, and Same thing with Oracle, but something that was successful as Oracle may not be successful somewhere else because they had their their whole MO, right? It's, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned both of those. I'm familiar with both of them and they're, they're, you know, some of their histories as well. And they're very, both of them at, at their peaks were both customer focused and sales focused, meaning sales first. So a lot of times I've also, it's unfortunate, sales operation gets too much power. And this, I'm going a little, deviating a little bit, but these are some of the downfalls if anybody's listening to this. If you give your sales operations team too much power, to where they're defining how much sales reps get paid and they themselves have never been sales reps, they're going to be like, well, why is this rep who's, who's earning like hundreds of millions of dollars for this business or even just millions or hundreds of thousands, whatever it is, why are they getting paid more than me? I'm going to, I'm going to jerry-rig their commission structure so that they're not paid as well. And Oracle never did that. Oracle was like a flat, like you, you make more money for the business, you make more money for yourself, like just period. And that always fascinating to me that why are, why like, you know, telcos, I've also worked for telcos. Telcos have a really convoluted way. You need like a PhD to understand the commission structure. And, <laughs> um, and it's, it's really for that. Like, how do we prevent salespeople from making money? And that's not why they're there. It's not why you hired them. You hired them to make, right. to make money, to make the business money. And if they make the business money, they should make money too. And again, I'm sorry, I'm digressing a little bit. No, it's not digressing. And it's really looking at different industries too, but it's also telco companies are not very customer centric either. No, right. It's confusing. Look at all the fees that we have to navigate. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, Absolutely. we were just looking at that in our, in my business, not too long. Like, what is this? <laughs> right. The There's controller's like, wait yes. a minute. Yeah. 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 So, so, so being customer friendly, being or customer first, customer centric, and then tailoring the internal organization accordingly to support them. I think that's like step number one. And then if you want to help your middle performers grow and then identify as a leading indicator, you don't want to identify who your poor performers are after the quarter's over. Cause that's too late. It'd be great to identify it upfront and then use your discretion on, are they going to be successful? Because if you make these three tweaks, they will find success. Or if you have to make 15 tweaks, then you got to like, as a manager, figure out if it's worth the time investment, because maybe this hire was not the right hire. And you can do that ahead of time before the month ends or before the quarter ends, because you have that insight as to like, this is where they're lacking relative to top performers. Yeah. It's so expensive to find new people too. The, the amount of institutional knowledge that you lose, how much time it takes to train, hire, find. And I know our listeners are now doing what I'm doing. Ding, ding, ding. We could use this in our delivery area, our production area, yep. right? 
Absolutely. Yes. So the motivation for Excelogy is to identify, let's say the top half reps. And right now, let's say the current revenue, or let's say, what are we, we're about, today is the last day of, of Q2 in, in the calendar year, right? And so I'm sure there's crunch time for everybody, at least when this is report, being reported. What are the what are the, the B, C, D players, not necessarily the F ones, but the ones that you need to make those minor tweaks to, if you did make those tweaks, what kind of revenue does that represent? Because today, if they're they're closing at like 75% or 80%, and the, the top reps are 100, 105%, if everybody using that specific playbook for that business got everybody to north of 90, 95%, what like what's that delta look like for for the business in terms of the revenue coming in? Because now you're you're creating a playbook and a model that's exposed, that's transparent and objective data for everybody to follow. And if you have reps that are choosing not to follow it, like all right, well then you also know. Well, that'll show too. Yeah, it'll show exactly. So there's it's, and this it really would up. help HR because HR has been relegated down to being yes men yep. uh, for you know the executives right when they could truly be objective and yes. be effective like they want to be. Right? And this is not going to be absolutely. I, I don't see this um, what Excel the information that Excelgy provides isn't the end all be all right. You'll still need the various other aspects of how you measure performance and how you measure success and all of those KPIs, those will still be there. But I think this will add to that. It'll add yet another layer to it or another data point that can be used to determine whether or not it'll corroborate, should this person be put on a performance improvement plan or, or not, maybe not. And so what's what, what are the actual issues? It'll, it'll provide a little bit more of a reference point. For yeah, that. I'm glad you mentioned that. So people don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Oh, let's just <laughs> let's throw out everything before that's been successful. Yes. This is something to really measure quality yes. along with the quantity to get viability. That's really the, the golden goose, right? Viability, long-term, sustainable, success. Absolutely. And you mentioned you hit the nail on the head where it's so hard to, to find new people if you do inadvertently and without knowing, you let the right people go to backfill that right contributor, that right individual is, I don't even know what that is. I'm sure there's data out there for every industry, three, six, nine, 12 months to, to hire the right person that has nothing to do with the internal politics of like backfilling and getting approvals and all of that stuff. Once the actual rec goes out, how long does it take to find the right person? So, so it's better to, to, to cultivate and train appropriately train the people you already have because they want to be better. They're not there to just waste, waste your time or theirs. Yeah. They want to be Maybe better. this is what's really behind the great resignation is the lack of meritocracy. Yeah, in many cases it is. Absolutely. Wouldn't that be a story to tell? <laughs> yes, the lack of meritocracy is, is a problem generally, I think. Yeah. And, I, and so I'm hoping to fix that. Well, I know what gave you that epiphany. You said, that's it, I'm doing something about it, right? Yep. yep. Um, where do you see, so you started in sales. Where is this going for Excelogy? What's well, your plan? I mean, overall, I would love to be able to give, so the dashboard I'm talking about for sales specifically, I'd love to expand that and give it for the entire business. Like where Excelogy is going to go is, Let's look at MA, for example. The, the, the organization, the most recent one that I lost the political battle on about four to five months after I left, they got sold for 75% of what they were acquired for. And specifically, they're, they're pivoting to almost use the playbook that I was trying to, in strategy at least, I, that I was trying to implement there. So, but traditionally, what I was doing wouldn't show up on anybody's graphs, charts, or reports in terms of the, the contribution that I was making to the business. So, if there's anybody else like myself that doesn't fit squarely inside the transactional sales box or squarely inside the, the program management box, or if there's someone who kind of goes a little bit more horizontal that, that wears multiple hats, if you measure that one person against a, a sales rep, they're going to be, their numbers are going to be small. If you measure them, that same, same one person against a, a program manager or a business development rep or whomever else that they might be doing, because they're, they're more horizontal, they're working across the, the business. They're, un, they're immeasurable in today's, any of today's metrics, but the, the goal I'd like to do is, is provide visibility into sales and not just sales, I'm sorry, business owners, like CEOs, C-suite individuals of this person is, is, 
they have their hands in every cookie jar and they're actually moving and shaking. You just can't see it because you're too far from it. At least you should ask yourself, why are they talking to like all these random people, both internally and externally? You should at least know what they're like, why are they doing what they're doing? And if not, at least at minimum, you should know that. But otherwise you should also know that the contribution they're making to the business and because of the activity that they're doing, because of the people they're talking to and the engagement they have from everywhere around the industry, not just the business. And so I'm looking to provide insights to senior management for those, those high contributors, the people that are actually put the business on their back and are trying to do what's right for the business. But just because of the way they operate, it doesn't, it's not measured today. And it's not showing up. It's not showing up anywhere. And when they leave four months later, four or five months later, then, then the business gets sold or it goes downhill and candidly, no one knows why. And it's not just in sales, it's, it's across the board. And so I'm hoping, so for example, after sales would probably be uh, marketing most likely oh, yeah. would be the next step. I was going to say marketing for sure. Um, and so, for example, the in, in marketing, there's a lot of uh, tools, even back-end tools that I'm leveraging in the form of artificial intelligence and sentiment analysis and things like that, that, that help discern the quality of messaging that goes out. Hmm. There's many tools in your world that you might know that help write blogs, right? You give it one, one sentence and it'll, the computer will write the rest of it. That's like scathing the surface to some extent, but similarly, if there could be analysis done between the top reps and the messages that they send, versus the everyone else and the messages they send and providing that a little bit of insight on that sentiment of what they're sending and the quality of those messages, not just the quantity and using that as also a data point. That's part of what we're doing. That's super cool. Yeah. I would think marketing would be next. Yeah. Marketing is a typically an area that the C-suite doesn't understand Yeah, and they look at it as a cost center, but if you really follow marketing outflow, it's directly correlated to gross revenues. Yeah. Like spookily correlated, right? So if they really understood that, they could constantly drive the business and have bandwidth to put attention on quality of delivery. Exactly. And, and I've, always, I've always found it ironic that there's such, and this has been in many of the organizations I worked for, there's always this kind of co-opetition between sales and marketing. Um, yeah, and never should be that way because they're really our brothers, right? They're, they're, the sisters, collaboration, absolutely. Yeah, they're, it's the same goal. It's literally, it's a relay race and marketing starts the race and sales has to finish it. And the handoff needs to be clean and that needs to be practiced just like a relay race. Mm -hmm. And I've never understood why there's all this consternation between the two because when the numbers are missed, there's all this finger pointing. Oh, sales is like, oh no, marketing, it's marketing's fault. Didn't have enough leads. <laughs> numbers are missed, it's all marketing's yeah. fault. It, numbers yeah. are gotten, it's all it's all sales. It's all sales, yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's not the case. <laughs> Happens so, all the time. Yeah. But but so that's so to me, it's like if you follow the money and go backwards from following the money, that's the next step is marketing. Yes. Um, and then beyond that it would probably be product management. And then beyond that would be engineering and or operations. And so kind of going internal from the outside facing the business, going to the, the inside. Yeah. Of well, you know, you're actually following an administrative rule, which is the correct sequence of expansion. The correct sequence of expansion is promotion first. That's marketing and sales, right? Yep, yep. Get that going. Uh, then put in administration lines, right? And yep. then put in sensible economy. Because if you don't do it in that order, you won't have anything to economize on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, exactly. So exactly. good job. Thank you. What industries are you going after right now? I mean, I know tech and that's super broad. So yeah, yeah, it's right now tech, mostly SaaS based. So, so we're at the, the, the point in our evolution is we're, we're, we're not yet ready to scale. So we're looking for kind of, we're following our own kind of MO is identify a few key beta customers, beta partners, and kind of iron out all the kinks between these three to five. And then once we iron out all the kinks, then we can scale and then we'll, we'll throw salespeople at it. We'll throw a few more engineers and pro serve. So another aspect of Excelogy that I believe is unique to us is we're not just a tool that you buy off the shelf and you self-operate. It's highly customizable because I don't believe a one size fits all solution, which are a lot of these tools are in that, in that space. The way to maximize what we provide is to customize the data gathering, the data acquisition in a way that's specific to that business, right? So I can't take an automotive playbook and data capture model and apply it to a SaaS business or, or to a marketing business or to a pro-serve business. And so there's a little bit of kind of requirements gathering and customization for the tool to capture the appropriate metrics so that the data that comes out on the other side is actionable. 
Yeah. Wow. And you could have real succession plans yeah. for these business owners and executives, right? So when yep. you, you don't lose institutional knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so it's, I uh, love it's, this. It's a I wish you all play. the best. I'm I like, appreciate it. I'm so grateful. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You have no idea oh. how much that means. Oh, good. Well, I, I totally mean it. I mean, I can do, I mean, my wheels are turning. So were you always like this, I don't know, is it methodical when you're looking at things and looking at the disparities and metocracy? Was this something that you graduated into or was this like, what was Little Deep like? <laughs> <laughs> I've always been a bit of a problem solver. I've like, I started my career, even though at my, my degree from, from college is biochemistry. And that's largely because of my, my background. My mom always wanted me to be a doctor. I was effectively, I was essentially undeclared. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I'm like, all right, I'll go into medicine. Fine. Because my mom wants me to be a doctor. So my bachelor's is in biochemistry, but, I've, but my heart has always been in tech. I, I was coding since I was 12, even back then with my Commodore 64, I would write software on. So just kind of building that using technology to solve problems. And so even in my house, for example, my wife always complains that she doesn't know how to operate our TV because it's so complex, but it's not actually, we have, I have one of those universal remotes that yes, when you hit too. a button, when you hit a button, like magic happens, everything turns on and it automatically works. Right. And if one, what she complains about every now and then one of the devices will go on the fritz yeah. and then she's hitting the button. And one of the, the 12 things that should be working is not working. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know how to operate the TV. Like it just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, there, it takes a, a, a PhD to offer to operate a universal remote. I'm sorry. I believe if what's so funny is I'm the one in the household that can do that. Yes, that's awesome. Okay. And, the, and, and the other person in the household is in tech. Super brilliant, but it's, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Around. Exactly. So, so I'm always solving problems. Like for example, um, I'm in the process of smart homing our house, I guess, or some, whatever. Yeah. Like smart, you know, like so a lot of the switches are now Wi-Fi based, connected to Alexa and. And but you're just, certainly not going off the grid. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. I've, I've bought in, you know, hook, line and sinker into, into this automation. So if, if, you know, and obviously Alexa's listening, so yes, you're hearing this conversation as well, but turning on the lights, turning off the lights, they actually have, um, I know we're going off topic here, but um, something I'm, no, I'm, fascin I'm fascinated with. So all the listeners, Alexa has something called guard. So, and our light switches are touched, are tied into guard. So when you're away from the house and you turn guard on because it controls the lights in the house also, or can, it'll automatically turn them on and off throughout the evening. As like people are home. home. Like people are home. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So like that kind of stuff, I'm, I just love it. I love automation in the house. And so I do, I write my own software to just for internal home stuff <laughs> for video. Like I take a video and I want to make like 12 different copies of it, or I should say qualities of it. So one's going from a marketing standpoint, you'll appreciate this. One's going to like WhatsApp, our family group. One will go to YouTube and another one will go. And so I have a script that kind of prepares all this stuff for me so I can send it out. So I'm not actually like cropping or trying to force a two gig file on WhatsApp versus versus YouTube and trying to use the same file everywhere. Wow. So, so how fun. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's time consuming, but I enjoy it. That's that's what I do um, from a technical standpoint in some of my spare time. That's awesome. And, and do you have any crazy passions outside of work besides that? Music. Music and then well, I see I, the guitar in the back. Yes, yes. I that was a COVID project. I'm actually behind my head. There, those those drums are called tablas. They're tablas. Indian yeah, tabla. T a b l a. Tabla. Okay. Tabla. Um, T a b b l a. Okay, tabla. Tabla. Yeah. Tabla. Um, they are Indian percussion that use your fingers. To, there's no sticks. And I've grown up playing that, accompanying my father. So that's that. I'm like semi pro at. I can perform that way. But the guitar, yeah. I'm I'm literally I'm just kind of still struggling a little bit. But it's but I love music. I have in fact my setup here is is basically a music studio. I'm talking into my laptop here, but I have a 43 inch screen that serves as my mixing board when I when I use uh when I use the 
Logic Pro, which is the digital audio workstation. Oh my gosh, how fun. So are, we have an album or a single coming out soon? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm more, more in the back. I support my kids, for example. My kids are amazing musicians and I'm, I'm grateful that they follow the passion, but they have the talent. Like my dad had talent, skipped a generation, and then my kids have, gen my kids have the That's talent. That's awesome. So, so I enjoy recording them. I want to be able to, to record them and produce. I'm not as good a produce, music producer as I am a percussionist. So I'm, I still need So you're a pro tablet drummer. Is that how you say it? Kind of. I mean, okay. I, I, I could get paid for it, but because my passions are elsewhere, it's more of a hobby now than yeah. actually. Maybe you can uh, do that when you retire. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's, what, that's what my mom said. She's like, if you have music in your life, when everything else is done, you'll still have something to do. You'll still have something to, to indulge in. When if, it's, if you're a pro athlete, for example, and all you did was play basketball, when your knees are gone, it's a little hard to continue playing basketball. And so you got to still pick up something else. My mom was like, music, you'll, you'll have it for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know what you're doing when you retire. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Dave, how do people get a hold of you? So the website, Excelogy.com has all my contact information on there. If you're watching the podcast, my first name, dot last name at Excelogy.com is my email address. I welcome any email, reach out to me. Those are probably the best ways are uh, the office numbers on the website as well. So that serves that you can send SMS or not iMessage, but you can send text messages to it as well. So. And SOS, help me. <laughs> yes, yes, please. Happy and we can help. find you on LinkedIn as well, which we'll yes. put links all into that. Absolutely. Dave, thank you. This has been so much. I love this. It's actually Thank been really you. deep for me. I'm Thank excited you. about what you're doing. I, I can't it. wait for it to blow up. It's badly needed. I appreciate it. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Yes, you're welcome. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from the show. Please. Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.